Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us. If you're joining us online, thanks also for joining us. I want you to imagine for a second you're caught in a driving rainstorm. And the shelter is 30 yards that way. It's an awning of a building. It's a building itself. When you get out of your car, how quickly are you moving in that direction? Well, just as fast as you can because you are being soaked to the bone. Now, I want you to imagine again you're caught in that rainstorm and you don't know which way shelter is. You're not sure. You don't know the area and there's nothing visible. I mean, you're running fast. But are you going in the right direction? I I don't know. You, You might be running from shelter. That's a frustrating feeling, being trapped and not being able to find where to go. Well, there are people who feel like that when it comes to living under the shelter of God's favor. They're out from under it, but they don't know where to go. How do you get back to live in there? That's what I want to talk about this morning. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to 1 Samuel chapter 12, we're going to go through this chapter wrestling with the question, how do we get back to living under the shelter of God's favor? How do we get back to living under the shelter of God's favor? Now, if you haven't been with us, we've been spending the last number of weeks going through the books of First and Second Samuel, and it's really a, a record of Israel's transition from existing as a loose federation of states to living under a monarchy. And it started with a lady who was dealing with infertility. She prayed, God, if you give me a son, I'll dedicate him to you. God gave her that son. His name is Samuel, and she dedicated him to the Lord. And Samuel has been raised up since he was a lad to be a prophet, God's spokesperson. And what Israel has wanted more than anything is they've wanted security from their enemies. Uh, They're in the promised land, but it hasn't gone well at times. And and how do we deal with this? And they tried some ways to manipulate God, and that didn't work out for them. So what they've landed on is we need a king. We need a king. And Samuel said, yeah, I don't know that's a good idea. A king is going to take and take and take and take and take and take and take. And he said, I don't care. We still want a king. That's what everybody else has. That's what security looks like. And so God said, okay, I'm going to give you, I'm going to grant your request. And that is, I'm going to use that to show you who you really need is me. But when Saul was anointed the first king, the word choice was really interesting He didn't use the word king. He used the word prince and ruler. You're a king that will operate under God's authority. Last week, uh, Saul's kingship was challenged by Nahash the Ammonite, and and God raised him up. The Spirit of God came upon him. And so he is established before the people, and that's where we are. And Samuel's addressing the people in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And it says, Then Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I've listened to your voice and all that you said to me, and have appointed a king over you. Now, here is the king walking before you, but I'm old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. Now, remember, Samuel's sons didn't follow the, his lead in, in following God. That's part of the reason the people asked for a king. I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. Now, Samuel is about to call them out yet one more time for their sin, their offense of asking for a king. Because what they said is, we want to trust the king rather than God. Before he does that, he wants to make sure he's clean before the people, that he isn't guilty of some hypocrisy. So here's what he says in verse 3. He said, here I am. Bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed. 
whose ox have I taken, or whose donkey have I taken, or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed, or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I will restore it to you. If you were with us during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, be really, really careful when you look at the speck in your brother's eye, make sure you take out the log in yours. Not that we don't judge, but let's look at ourselves first. And that's what Samuel's doing. I'm about to call you out. Have I showed myself to be pure? Verse 4. They said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. He said to them, the Lord is witness against you and has anointed his witness this day that you have found nothing in my hand. And they said, he is witness. Okay, Samuel, you're clean. You've walked in integrity before us. Okay, Samuel says then, verse 6, to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Okay, way, way back in the day, you guys were enslaved for 400 years and you cried out. And God said, I'm ready. I've heard the cries of my people. And I'm going to raise, I'm going to pick a couple people out, Moses and Aaron. And at the time, Moses was on the backside of a desert. He'd acted impulsively and killed somebody. He was a sheep herder. He said, God, uh, Moses, you're my man. Moses said, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think I have much credibility or much credential. Moses, you stick with me. I will raise you up. And, and, and he showed Moses to be a leader before the people. That's different than the people going to God and saying, hey, you need to provide a king. God, let me tell you, let me tell you the terms of delivery. You, you provide for us. No, no, no. God, we're going to trust you to raise up your people. That's about 180 degree difference. Israel, you, you haven't been willing to wait on God. Samuel says in verse 7, so now take your stand or make your case that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did for you and your fathers. Again, you're going to see that God has been faithful and he's worthy of your trust. Verse 8, when Jacob went into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, already talked about that, and brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. They're in the promised land. But... They forgot. What? They forgot. They forgot the Lord their God. So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of army of Hazor, into the hand of the Philistines, and in the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us from the hands of the enemies and we will serve you. I brought you here and you bailed on me. You, you, you've served other gods, other idols. And you fell under oppression and you cried out to me. Here's what I did. Verse 10, verse 11, I'm sorry. Then the Lord said, Jerubbabel and Badan and Jephthah and Samuel. These are all judges. Most of them you'll find in the book of Judges. Samuel was the last judge. People that God raised up at the moment to lead them out of their bondage. And these people delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around so that you lived in security. God was your deliverer, and yeah, he worked through people. He raised up people, but he didn't have people coming and setting a grid on them. This is how you'll do it. That's offensive to God. We know, God, how to do it. You come on our terms. More recently, we talked about it last week, when you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you and said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, or the Lord your God was your king. You got in trouble, and you wanted... You really push the issue. We need our king to step up for us. What you really needed was the spirit of God to come upon Saul, which is what happened, and raise him up. 
God sets the agenda. We don't dictate the terms. So he says, Now therefore, here's the king whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for. And behold, the Lord has set a king over you. Saul has God's approval, but he's not God's choice. So you're going to say, well, Andy, did, I mean, did, did this request for a king and this push for a king and God decided to give him a king, did that throw God off? Was that down? No. no, if you look, we won't do it, but if you look back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17, verses 14 through 17, before Israel comes into the promised land, God says, you're going to ask for a king, and I'll give you a king, and here's the stipulation for the king. He needs to be born in Israel. He's not to accumulate material goods. He's not to accumulate wives. We'll, we'll talk about that when we get into the life of David. But, but God knew this was coming, so it didn't throw him. He worked this into his plan, but he's using this request for a king ultimately to give them their king so that it will point them back to him. So the choice of a king was a bad decision. It was offensive to God. But God's not done with his people. Verse 14. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. So we can, God says, we can make this king thing work. If you'll fear me and obey me and serve me, then this king will serve under my autonomy and I will bring security to your borders through your king. But your king has to be submissive to me. And you have to understand your king is under my autonomy. We can redeem this bad decision. So I'm wondering, do you have a bad decision or two in your past? A decision you regret, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have left that relationship, I shouldn't have thrown that thing, I shouldn't have God can redeem that decision. God can redeem that mistake. Well, wh well, what do I need to do right now? Start fearing God. Start serving him. Nothing is beyond God's redemption if our heart is given to him. When I started graduate school, my heart was really to serve the Lord with a campus ministry. I already had a bachelor's degree. My campus director said, Andy, what are you doing? You only need one degree. You're working on the second one. Well, the long and short of it is I didn't want to face down my dad, so I stayed in grad school. Probably wasn't a great decision. Got a second degree that I never used. Um, but God redeemed that. God moved through that. Yeah, well, there's some school debt. Yeah. Did I have to pay monthly? Yeah. But, but God redeemed that. Worked through that. Whatever the decision is. God can redeem it, but right now, right now, start fearing him. Start serving him. Verse 15. Here's the contrast. If you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was your father's. This king you've gotten, you need to put him under God's control. I'm wondering if there's parts of your life that you refuse to give to God. You got this, this, and this, but, but this, I, I, no, I'm, I'm keeping it. For me, I want to control the future. 
Anybody else like that? How's that work out? Is it working out any better for you than it is for me? I just toss and turn at night when I try and do that. God says, what, would you just roll that on me? Believe. That's one area of my life. What is it for you? Is it a job? Is it a relationship? Is it what, finance? What is it? Well, Samuel wants the folks to know um, God's serious. So in verse 16, he says, even now take your stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Well, what's this great thing? Verse 17, is it not the wheat harvest today? Well, yeah, it is. For Israel, that was May and June. It's never, that never rains during this time of year. But here's what Samuel said. I will call the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. Then you will know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourselves a king. Notice that decision is wicked. Because it offended God. We're going to trust in a king rather than you. But it can also be redeemed. So Samuel called to the Lord and sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And I think there's a message here. Don't be fearing the word of the king. Be fearing the word of the prophet. Why? Because the prophet speaks God's word. So many of you heard my story. I'll go through it quickly. I had freshman classes start on Monday. Saturday night in the student center, they have what akin, what is big red welcome. You go get your pizza coupons. You go get you sign up for cable. And in the middle of that, somebody said, hey, you want to fill out a religious interest survey? Sure. I forget about it. Tuesday, they show up at my door. Do you remember filling this out? No, I don't, but that's my handwriting. I get into dorm Bible study. Six months later, I come to Christ. I get baptized in February of my freshman year. And you can imagine the debt of gratitude I feel to this man, Ron Tucson, who led me to the Lord. And, and he is like a prophet to me. But you know what he always told me? He said, Andy, you never take my, you never take my word for it. You always check me out in the Bible. And if we disagree, let's, let's do it friendly. This is our authority. This is why we're talking about it. I am not the authority. I am the authority to the degree I accurately interpret the Bible. If we disagree, same thing. Let's talk about it friendly, conciliatory way. See where we disagree? But this is where we place our fear in the word of God. Why? Because he's speaking. Verse 19, then the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God so that we may not die. So that we, we have added to all our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. So they're asking for an intercessor. Samuel, will you pray for us? We no longer have to go through a person to get to God. We can go right to Jesus. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. We have an intercessor. His name is Jesus. So here's what Samuel says, verse 20. Samuel said to the people, do not fear, even though we've called this decision wicked, even though those decisions are wrong. You have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. They've stepped out from under the shelter of God's favor. Samuel said you could step back in. Why? How? By serving the Lord with all your heart. You got baggage. You got stuff. What do I do? Here's what you do. You start serving the Lord with all your heart right now. Well, what about, what about, what about? No, 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 no. Let's take it a step at a time. We're getting soaked and we're, are we running away? How do we get back to 
we're living under the favor of God's shelter, the shelter of God's favor. Serve the Lord with all our heart. Serve the Lord with all our heart. Now, there's things that get in the way. We give our heart to other things, and Samuel will call those futile, verse 21. You might not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things, which cannot profit or deliver, because they are futile. And we talked about this. Our, our heart generates idols, and it could be a job, it could be a relationship, it could be a career, it could be our popularity, it could be this, it could be that. And those are all true. But I, I want to talk about a seasonal idol, a seasonal object of futility, and that's fandom for a football team. Because that can become an idol, something we trust to give us life. So we were nine, I was nine years old. We are living in suburban Detroit. And that November, Michigan, I've never, I don't know anything about college football, but they play a big game against Ohio State, pull a big upset, and they're going to the Rose Bowl. And my dad says, the Rose Bowl? We kind of rent a TV to watch the Rose Bowl. We didn't have a TV, so we're, we're renting a TV. Oh, why? Okay, okay, I'm in. So we watch the game. And from that point, I'm hooked. So that fall, remember, you can only be on TV twice a year during those times. So you had to listen on the radio. So I would have the radio in the backyard. And I'm the Michigan quarterback running the option as they're calling it out. Tom Slade, Dennis Wright. Those names are fixed in my mind. People at nine years old, without knowing it, I created an idol. Michigan football became my happy place and it gave me life. Just like Nebraska used to run through their non-conference in the Big 8, Michigan would run through the non-conference in the Big 10. They'd have their last game against Ohio State, which is 50. So 9-2 so was a horrible year. And they'd win on Saturday, and I'd read the article on Sunday, and I'd cut it out and go in my scrapbook, and there'd be an article on Monday, and then the polls would come out on Tuesday, so I'd clip those out. I had a scrapbook, and I'd read this thing. And my dad controlled with anger, and, and, and Michigan football was a happy place. But it became an idol. So let me skip ahead to 2003. I'm 42 years old. It's the Tuesday evening, the first Tuesday in February. And I don't sleep that, this, this night. I say, well, Andy, was it because, I mean, our kids were young. They were a year and a half and four. Was it kids? No, that wasn't it. Well, did you and Hope have a tiff? No, that wasn't it. Well, you were new on your job at Lincoln Berean. Five months in, six months in. No, that wasn't it. Well, what kept you awake? A high school recruit kept me awake. Because see, the next day was signing day. It was a five-star recruit out of Ohio, and he had verbaled to Michigan, but then there was an internet rumor that he was going to flip to Ohio State. So I'm scouring the internet, getting up at night, no more information. I get up in the morning, I'm hitting refresh because the letters are coming in, and, and I just, I can't get any work done. Cause, and finally it comes in, and, and, he, and he, he commits to Michigan. But you know what I did? That afternoon I thought, this is out of hand. An 18-year-old high school student who doesn't know you and you don't know him just robbed you of a night of sleep. Is your love for your team out of hand? Does it control you? you? Watch the game and it's a great diversion. Talk to them when they drop the ball. That's okay. 
But when it's done, is it, is it controlling you? It's an idol. So let me roll the clock ahead. Nebraska gets a coach, and he's great. And in five years, they win the national championship. So you go down to Pinnacle Bank Arena, and you're cheering on the go, big red. And you get a bumper sticker, and you get a hat, and you get a T-shirt, national championship. And then you can watch some highlights on YouTube, and you know what? After a while, you go back to your life, and the same health issues, the same relational issues, don't, don't, don't change. And the year after the national championship, they lose in the semifinals, and you are frustrated, and it's, wow, did they do that? And two years later, they lose the Big Ten, and, and the thing takes way more life than it gives. Don't give yourself to feudal things like football teams. Maybe it's the Huskers, maybe it's the Wolverines, maybe it's the Chiefs, maybe it's the Broncos, maybe it's the Vikings, maybe it's the Bears, I don't know. We make an idol out of these things and they rob us of life. Don't chase futile things. Give your heart fully to the Lord. Why? Verse 22, for the Lord will not abandon his people in the account of his great name because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. This is what we are believing about our church. God wants, we're, we're a people for him to make his name known in our community. Verse 23, Samuel says, Moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. Samuel says, you know, you've given offense. I was speaking God's word, and you tell me, buzz off. Hey, the king's going to take a lot of stuff. I don't care. We want a king. It could be easy for Samuel to be offended. But Samuel said, I'm not. I'm going to keep praying for you. I'm going to keep being involved with you. A lot of stuff going on in culture that we as Christians find offensive. We don't check out. We follow Samuel's model. We keep praying. We keep involved. That's, that's why we talked about doing what we did in North Star. We want to personify the love of Jesus in our community, even when people push back, even when people reject. We're serious about being Christ in our community, and it's modeled through us, for us throughout the scriptures. Final thoughts, verse 24 and 5. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. When Jesus was on earth, he had a bunch of Pharisees and religious leaders that were always trying to trip him up. So one time they said, hey, 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 Jesus, can you summarize the whole Old Testament law in one commandment? Jesus said, no, I can't do one, but I'll do two. In Luke 10, 27, he said, first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. They, they were inseparably linked. But I, but I think the love of God is foundational because it empowers us. And, and Jesus' thing was, first thing I want you to do, before you get on a checklist, what should I do? What, 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 no, I, I want you to love God with your whole being. Jesus is the only one that ever did that perfectly. He loved the Father right up to the point he obeyed him to going to the cross. You and I, we, we, we chase futility. We got stuff, and we're in process, and we're growing. We need to give ourselves, surrender to Jesus fully. Jesus, would you do a work in our heart that we can't do for ourselves, that we might love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Would you ask Jesus to do what has been called for throughout the whole Old Testament and throughout the New Testament, that we give ourselves fully to God? Samuel said, serve the Lord with all your heart. Give ourselves fully to God. As we do that, things fall in place. 
Ask Jesus to do the work we can't do for ourselves. You ever heard of the Marshall Plan? After World War II, Europe was destroyed. So the United States stepped in with back then what was $11 billion, was it 13? $13 billion. It would be $115 billion in today's money. What? To rebuild Europe. You know who got in on that? A bunch of countries did. But you know which country got in on that? Germany did. <laughs> Germany was a, an enemy in World War II. They, I mean, they were shooting our soldiers. And... But Germany got in on that. But you know what Germany had to do first to get that money? First thing they had to do? They had to surrender. We're done. When that happened, the process began. And they received over, in today's dollars, $13, $14 billion. Now, the money was offered both to West and East Germany. But East Germany was under the Soviet control, and the Soviet pride said, no, we're, we're not taking that. The wall fell in 1989. In the summer of 1990, my wife went on a campus crusade mission project to Germany. She said, Andy, the difference between West Germany and East Germany unspeakable. You, you, you couldn't even describe it. Wealth and blessing versus poverty and despair. All because a people, a nation said, no, we're, no, thanks. We're good. Can we surrender to Jesus and admit he's got to do something for us we can't do for ourselves? Or will our pride, like it did for East Germany, keep us from receiving what God dearly wants to give us? I pray we don't end up our lives looking back saying, we, you know, we lived in poverty and despair when we could have lived under the shelter of God's favor. How do we get back to living under the shelter of God's favor? By serving God with our whole heart. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven. We're grateful of this reminder to give ourselves fully to you. We're thankful that a people who committed a wicked act, God's word, not ours, can still be redeemed. God's not given up in spite of this wicked act. Lord, that we would step into this Jesus who told us to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then, and then did it. And Lord, we, we confess, we chase after futile things. Jesus, would you deliver us from that, that we might serve you with our whole heart. I pray this in your name. Amen.